is this just the audio going out or do you put out the video of this how do you do this we don't put the video out it's, it's up to you whether you want to whether you want to come on camera or not it's absolutely fine it'd okay, be nice I'm, to see no, you I'm just, I'm just worried <laughs> i'm not going to strip naked or something it's all good <laughs> I just, well i could do that could be a bit special <laughs> well, we could we could tell everyone that you are you don't have to actually do it <laughs> yeah <laughs> hello and welcome along once again to it'll be all right in the 90s the podcast that knew all along that californication was released as a single in the uk on august 7th 2000 and only mentioned it in order to check everyone was listening properly. I'm the Fusey from Pusey, Stu Choslin, and joining me as always is the Pistol from Bristol, Alex Greenwood. Greeny, how are you, mate? Well, I'm I'm surprised to, to see you here. Actually, I thought it might be Joe Barter in your place. But, well, um... we, we had some stern words after the after the recording finished at the end of the, the last episode, and it's been decided that uh, I will keep my job going forward. But it, yeah. this is very much uh, a three strikes and you're out. <laughs> so and this was a pretty big second strike. So I've had a word with Joe and with Jeff. And they are actually, Joe is actually in my living room at the moment. He's waiting to, to come in at a moment's notice. Hopefully I can keep my job for at least another episode. Yeah, cool. I hope so. I hope so. But I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm uh, looking forward to this this episode. I think it's going to be really interesting uh, interviews. Yes, absolutely. So if you haven't heard, we're talking to Grammy Award winning drummer Rob Bryant tonight, an old friend of mine, about his uh, 1990s. So hopefully it will be a really great episode. It's the first in-depth interview really we've done since we spoke to Will Hodgson a little while back. Yeah, really looking forward to, to getting going on this one. Before we go any further, I should mention that our sponsor this week is Cellnet. If you simply quote the code ALRIGHT90s, you can choose two people to call free on their landlines at off-peak times right up until the new millennium. That's whether you're a new or existing customer. That's an amazing offer from Selnet. So thank you very much, guys, for, for weighing in with that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, now more than ever, is we should be keeping in touch with our loved ones. So um, absolutely, that's a really useful offer. So thanks to, thanks to those, those guys. I've heard there's talk of maybe there being a merger or something to do some link with bt i'm not sure if that's true maybe i is that right yeah so well those rumors are always swimming around i heard something similar about one-to-one recently i think so we'll have to keep an eye on that greeny when did you get your first mobile phone good question i think it was it was on one-to-one um, uh-huh. well, leading very it, nicely in there there we are yeah i think it was on one-to-one or possibly start i think it was Started on Tesco Mobile and somehow got it switched over, but it was would have been 2000, 2001, I think. I can still picture the phone. Uh, I can't remember who made it. It wasn't a Nokia. Mm-hmm. It must be. It was. I was still at school, still at secondary school. Uh, it could store ten text messages. I remember that. <laughs> um, what about you? When did you get yours? Well, the first mobile phone in my house belonged to my dad, and it was one of those um, Philips Savvy phones. Do you know that they were very, very ubiquitous at the time? Uh, uh, in, in the very late 90s um, and I remember this very clearly it was the network was called U just the letter U and the like logo was a thumbprint with a U inside it but I don't know what happened to that network or what it was part of or or anything like that I have to do some research around that but then oh, gee, my, that. my first phone that I got for myself was on my 11th birthday so December 2000 and I got a, a Nokia 3310 out of the Argos catalogue and I still have the same phone number all these years later never had a different phone number so brilliant there we are it celebrated its 21st birthday at the end of last year <laughs> how did how you celebrate that? oh i took it out for a few drinks and uh <laughs> <laughs> nice bite to eat uh, yeah it enjoyed itself yeah very much yeah. so i mean you know it's had a few different handsets over the years but yeah. seems happy in its current home yeah did you did you go to a phone box and dial it as a treat <laughs> I should have done. I should have done, but I didn't think of that at the time. But may- maybe for its twenty-second coming up, maybe I'll maybe I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> have we got any correspondence to kick off uh, this episode? I think we've got some left over from the uh, music videos a couple of weeks ago, haven't we? Uh, yes, we do exactly brother of the pod adam uh, says he did he did mention um, a lit video in the last episode but he's also said uh, california love had an incredible video 
uh, and it was a great time for music videos. They were obviously seen as worth spending time and money on, and Blur also had some great videos in the 90s, uh, and surely you have to mention Jamariquai and Virtual Insanity. So obviously he'd sent this message before he heard the episode or before mm-hmm. we'd uh, recorded it, so um, he would have would have not known that we did talk about virtual insanity that was one of joe's choices and hopefully um, he would have been very pleased that we did talk about virtual insanity yeah so, yeah know. well as he said surely we had to and we did we came through on that and california love got a mention as well not more california stuff i, I can't handle it <laughs> i cannot handle it yeah i mean it is a good point as well about it being a great time for music videos i guess it was i think like joe said it was a golden era and they the money was there and they wanted to spend it didn't they and it sort of really meant something so quite right um and ruth collinson also said on facebook kind of along the same lines there that um some music videos were big events in the 90s uh with them premiering on primetime tv such as black or white by michael jackson she said she's pretty sure that doesn't happen anymore and i yeah i agree i don't think it does happen anymore there may be sort of premiere stuff on youtube i'm not sure like when they mm. announce it but not as far as i know um she says that in the 90s there also seemed to be an increasing amount of music videos that featured clips from the films that they were featured in brackets sometimes even if only on the credits which i totally remember she says it was like the music videos were the main trailers for the films back then possibly because more people started to have satellite tv maybe and so watched a lot more music videos with mtv and vhs sorry vh1 music channels um, some examples she gives are Dangerous Minds, which was uh, Gangster's Paradise by Coolio, uh, Days of Thunder, which was Show Me Heaven by Maria McKee, and of course Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, uh, with of course. Everything I Do by Brian Adams. Which reminds me, actually, in the last episode I did say that I couldn't find, or the video for uh, Everything I Do by Brian Adams wasn't on YouTube. So what I should have made clear was that I meant the original video. There's, there is a video on YouTube, it's like a live sort of montage but it's not the original one that had clips from robin Hood, prince of thieves mm-hmm. and that's the one i wanted to talk about but i couldn't because it wasn't on youtube like the and stereophonics video then it's, it yeah. seems to have been replaced by a live performance there has to be some sort of rights thing at play here i think yeah because obviously as we said pick apart this new the video is based on the italian job and i don't know if there's been some sort of complaint filed by uh the makers of the Italian job, I don't know, but um, it seems yeah. strange that these videos for these hit songs have been, you know, in, sort of incongruously replaced, really. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the Stereophorus one especially is surprising because it's not even, it's not showing scenes from the film. It's just, no, no. It's an homage to it. Um, so very odd, yeah. Maybe one day we'll get, um, we'll get a member of the band on to, uh, to come in and they'll tell us what really happened behind the scenes. But yeah, Ruth's point, I think, is, is, is interesting about. Mm how film montages and clips from films would be in music videos a lot more back then and they were like uh trailers in their own right and i don't yeah i really don't think that does happen anymore maybe it does a bit and like just a recent example mm. i can think of is happy by pharrell being a music video being having sort of connections to the minions film yeah, um, and, yeah. But the, and the minions are in the video i think but it's not they're not scenes from the film so no no, I mean, well, the thing I take from that is um, being an avid viewer of uh, Top of the Pops 92, which is on BBC4 at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, in, we're in a period where every few weeks they will announce we've got a world exclusive uh, Michael Jackson video premiere on the, on Top of the Pops this evening. And almost like 10 minutes of the episode is, is taken up by this full length 8 to 10 minute video. I might have mentioned this on the music videos episode. I can't quite recall. But um, yeah, we're, we're in a period at the moment where every few weeks... Uh, another one comes comes through and we've had uh, black or white we've had i don't know the name of the song but there's been one with naomi campbell and there's been one with eddie murphy as well which i thought was a film trailer one because it's it was very cinematic and eddie murphy's playing a pharaoh or something like that i think mm. but it's not actually it is just a self-contained video it's not a um it's not okay. a film trailer at all so yeah these sorts of videos as you say they're a little bit of a dying a dying breed i think mm. Yeah, I need to really get back on Top of the Pops 1992. I missed almost all of 91 for my shame and well, to, uh, give it some attention. You just missed uh, the, the the period where Jimmy Nail is number one with Ain't No Doubt, so it's almost not worth not worth watching. Uh, Although, actually, no, Charles and Eddie are coming up with um, What I Lie to You. So, yeah, no, yeah, get on it. I've changed my okay. mind. Get on it. One other piece of business which we should cover for our shame should have been done. 
a long time ago. It's an embarrassing, shameful omission, really. Is that um, what have I done now? <laughs> this this is something that it falls on both our heads. I'm afraid, not not just yours. Mm. And that is the the topic of Legends of the Pod. So obviously, we we already have one Legend of the Pod. Um, Lee Burnsy Burns um, rightly so, is, rightly so. is uh, a well-deserved legend of the pod. But for some reason, the I don't know why this didn't happen, but of course, Kate Pro should be a legend of the pod and is hereby announced officially as another legend of the pod. Because Kate, I know you're going to be listening. You've given us so much support right from the beginning you give us loads of nice correspondence. You've um, you listen to all the episodes, and you just generally back us in every way. And we we're sorry this hasn't happened before, but you are now definitely a legend of the pod. Let's not forget she's been a fantastic guest as well. Yes, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, one of our most popular episodes, the uh, the fashion fashion episode. Indeed, and I think uh, there's going to be a part two coming uh, coming shortly as well, isn't there? Or hopefully. So. Yeah. Yeah, yes, there'll be more Kate Pro content to come for sure. Yeah, it's in the ledger. Kate Pro, legend of the pod. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Right, so I have uh, what's the most 90s for you here, Stu? We've done various topics, sort of items and foodstuffs and things like that. But this one's a bit different, a bit out of the box. And I'm asking you today, Stu, what the most 90s celebrity scandal is. Well, normally for the what's the most 90s segment, and when you pose these uh, questions to me, I normally go with the first first thing that comes to my mind because I find that that is the, you know, the, the way I want to go. So, for instance, men behaving badly, I think I said for the sitcom and, and so on and so forth. But I had to think about this quite a bit. And there's... There's one in, in the public consciousness at the moment, I think, which is the the, the Pamela Anderson and, and Tommy Lee thing, which has obviously now been dramatised for uh, for Disney Plus very recently uh, and, and all sorts of other things. But the one I've gone for, the one that I think is, for me, the most 90s, is Hugh Grant and Divine Brown. It's uh, uh... <laughs> a great one. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so this is 1994, I think. And... Uh, it's it's happening just as Hugh Grant's first major feature film is about to be released. So obviously it comes at a, a very, very bad time for him. I don't really have a, a real memory of this at the time, um, apart from there being lots of references to it on the TV and in newspapers. I do remember there being quite a bit of a buzz around it. Uh, obviously, it was big news. But um, in my research, uh, I didn't research it too deeply for, for obvious reasons. But the one thing I did uh, find out was that while the activity was taking place, shall we say, the reason that the police were alerted to the fact that, that something was going on was that, was that Hugh Grant kept pushing the brake pedal of his car um, uh, yeah. and, and the brake yeah. lights kept coming on, which, alert, <laughs> which alerted the police to uh, to the fact that something might be going on in this stationary car. So, um, so yeah, he, obviously he's uh, obviously his career recovered and he's gone on to be uh, you know one of Britain's best loved best loved film actors. But um, yeah, in terms of celebrity scandal, I've gone for for Hugh Grant's misstep with uh, with Divine Brown. Um, did you have any thoughts on this? Uh, well, that's a really good yeah, really good choice. I, I one of the most famous mugshots of the nineties, isn't it? I think the uh, indeed the Hugh Grant mugshot from that. <laughs> um, I, well, my choice was, as you've already mentioned, the Pam Anderson Tommy Lee sex tape. You know, it, it, like you said, it's in everyone's minds at the moment because of the the program. Yeah, I kind of thought of some other things, but that that was the one that I think because Pam Anderson was such a night was the nineties pinup. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, in my opinion, so that for that reason, but also because of what it represented in terms of the beginning of the sort of internet age because it was obviously shared around the internet then that that was probably the first example of something like that going viral as it were so it kind of it's really rooted in a time and place not place sorry in a time because of that that sort of burgeoning dawn of the internet so those two those two things combined i just thought this is the most 90s celebrity scandal so yeah that was my choice Two people I know almost nothing about apart from apart from this. I mean, I know that Tommy Lee was the drummer in Motley Crue, and I know that Pamela Anderson was in Baywatch, but I don't. This, they're two people whose careers I've never really sort of 
followed that closely. I don't know why. Yeah, no, I'm the same. I think um, Motley Crue was sort of before our time, weren't they? Mm -hmm. Kind of almost, well, I think definitely more famous for their wild, debauched sort of (laughs) lifestyle than any music they ever made. It's girls, girls, girls. Was that Motley Crue? Yeah, Girls, 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 Doctor Feel Good was another one. I'd be hard-pressed to name a third. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, there you go, I guess. They were sort of maybe as famous for this sex tape than anything else. But I guess, yeah, Baywatch was huge, but again, a bit before our time. So we've got the Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee sex tape and uh, the Divine Brown and Hugh Grant incident. Yes. Breaklight yeah. incident. The breaklight incident. <laughs> They're in the ledger um, next to uh, Stone's Bitter and everything else that's in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you've got any thoughts on what you think the most 90s celebrity scandal is or anything we've forgotten, please do let us know. Yeah, I'd be really interested to know on this one, actually, because I bet there's lots of stuff that just didn't occur to me, like the Divine Brown, Hugh Grant thing I'd totally forgotten about. So I'd love to hear anyone's thoughts out there, what you think is the most 90s celebrity scandal. Uh, get in touch in the usual channels, which we'll uh, go over at the end as usual. Do you know... I had a friend in sick form who was a big fan of Motley Crue and he told me that it was his plan to get a full-size Motley Crue logo tattooed on his back (laughs) and then go to a Motley Crue gig, get them all to sign around this logo on his back and then get Mm -hmm. the autographs tattooed over as well. Yeah. Um, I'm not in touch with him anymore, but I wonder (laughs) if he ever sort of went through with it. Yeah. Well... See if you can get back in touch with him. If you see yeah. if he did, Gary, if you're listening, let me know. It'd be good to hear from you after all these years. Do you want to yeah. see uh, a little '90s eBay buy that I made the the other day? That's just come through the post today. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's only small, but I saw this and I couldn't I couldn't resist it. There you go. Can you see that? <laughs> oh, brilliant. That is from the Premier League '96 sticker album, and that is Mark Bosnich. Uh, with with a classic '90s uh, sort of. Catholic dog collar style uh, goalkeeper jersey. <laughs> yeah, that's one that's in my personal collection as well. Um, so yeah, I had to have it. It was only a couple of quid, but uh, these stickers have got "Did you know?" facts on the back. So oh, do you want the "Did you know?" for this this sticker? Yeah, absolutely. Did you know that Teddy Sheringham won a second division winners' medal with Millwall in 1988? <laughs> no, I didn't. Well, there you are. You do know. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> expecting the "Did you know?" to be about a completely different player to the. Yeah. Well, that's a bit sticker. strange, that isn't it? I, I don't know why it's not about Mark Bosnich or Aston Villa in general, but um, yeah. Yeah. So that's going to go on my laptop, I think, next to um, I've got Mike Wozniak and Kermit on there at the moment. So so Mark <laughs> is going to go in the pantheon of legends. Yeah. On the back of my laptop, there we are. Very nice. <laughs> I I had two of the um, Merlin sticker annuals. I think I had nine, 93, 94, 94, 95. I think. So I mm-hmm. think I think the yours is the season after that. Yeah. Yeah, just the golden age of sticker sticker annuals. Oh, definitely. As far as we're concerned, I never got to complete one, sadly. But I remember there. I remember making a big, big case with my parents to be taken to. uh, They used to run these free, like swap shops at at McDonald's outlets. Okay. Around this time, and there was there was one scheduled to like take place at the McDonald's in Chippenham, and Mm. I wanted to take all my swaps down there and. um, and uh, and get it get it get my swap on, but I think I think it must have been during the school holidays, and there was nobody available to take me because I used to I used to stay with my grandparents during the uh, during the school holidays who didn't drive, so um, yeah, I had to miss out on the on the swap shop. I, so, I completed several Euro and World Cup sticker albums later on in my life at great expense, so I haven't <laughs> missed out on the experience, and which are all now worth a lot less than what I paid for them total. So yeah, there's oh, lessons yeah. to be learned there, kids. Our guest tonight is a man who's played drums all over the world with some of the most notable artists of the modern day. He's about to appear at the Beatles Museum in Liverpool to demonstrate some of Ringo Starr's most famous grooves. But he's here tonight to take us through what the 1990s means to him. It's an honour and a pleasure to be able to welcome to the podcast, Robbie Bryan. Rob, how you doing, mate? Hey, Stu. Hi, Alex. Hi. I'm, I'm good. Nice to see you guys. I'm great. Actually, I'm not just good. I'm great. Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. There's a lot of you know, grim things going on in the world, which which affecting us all. But, you know, I'm trying to keep a positive thoughts and train of thought and keep moving forward, you know, and hope things can sort themselves out. So, yeah, I'm pretty good, man. I'm pretty good. 
Oh, that's great to hear. And thanks so much for uh, making time to come and speak to us. And I understand you're a very busy man, so uh, we do appreciate it. Well, I was just in the studio today, actually, working on a, on a country song, which was which is really cool. I can't say anything about it because I got told I can't say who it's for. But uh -huh. it's not Dolly Parton, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I'm all, and I'm in there again tomorrow. So no, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to, to finish work and come and do this. Talk to you, you fine gentlemen. Oh, great stuff, man. Great stuff. Well, that, that's enough about the modern day. We're here to talk about the 90s, of course. Yay! <laughs> OK, um, so the first question we're going to ask you, Rob, is okay. um, we're going to start at the start of the decade, as, as that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and ask you what your life was like in 1990. My life in 1990, it, I, I just started or just about to start playing professionally. Um, and I, I was working for Marks and Spencer's as a warehouse man in Bath. <laughs> And I was spending a lot of my time in the warehouse uh, and collecting trolleys around the car parks of Bath. Um, but while I was doing that, I had my Sony Walkman on and I was listening to tunes um, and playing my bands set in my headphones so I could remember what I was going to be playing that night. So for me, it was, it was a great time because it was exciting. I just moved to Bath. I was starting to gig in moles and places like that in Bath and felt like I was breaking onto the scene. Um, but yeah, during the day, it's a bit like Batman. During the day, I'm an M&S man. <laughs> and then in the evening, I'm drummer man. And it, it was just very, very, very exciting times. Brilliant stuff. So uh, if, if I have this right, so in you turned 20 in 1990, is that correct? That's true, sir. Yes. Cool. So so we're talking about your entire 20s then as, as we as we move across the decade, which is yeah. um, which is really exciting. A, a man in his prime. <laughs> yeah, it's never peaked too soon. Yes, in indeed. Yeah. Fantastic. So um, we move on then. And we always like to start these these uh, interviews by by getting a, a feel for the decade as a whole for our for our interviewee. So okay. if we then, if we then ask you to move up to the the middle of the decade and, and ask what what where you'd got to in in 1995. So presumably you're you're pro by this point and you're and you're doing stuff all over the place. And you've left Marks and Spencer's behind, presumably. I, I have. 1995, we moved to the middle of, of the decade. And yes, you are quite right, sir. By then, I had become professional um, and I'd already gigged with um, uh, Hugh Cornwell. Uh, he'd left the Stranglers in uh, 1991, somewhere around there. Uh, so I'd worked with him in CCW. Um, I'd done some sessions which included playing with people like Herbie Flowers, and people like that, who I didn't know much about at the time. It was only after the event. People were like, you played with the man that did Walk on the Wild Side and all that. Um, also, uh, Cody Mundy from Kicker on a Coconuts I'd worked with. And also just picking up loads more sessions around the, the area and becoming a sort of um, a go-to guy for, for people in local studios like uh, uh, Riverside, but it was called Kosan then. Um, and sometimes poking my head into real world, but it didn't happen that often. That came a little bit later. So it had gone from warehouse man during the day to drumming man during the day because I'd start, I started teaching. A friend of mine, Jerry Acruzia Cole, um, got me an audition uh, or interview, both whatever you want to call it, down at Sherburn School in Dorset, very posh. Mm -hmm. And I went down there and they wanted someone a bit rock and roll. And my CV was looking fairly rock and roll at the time. So they gave me the job and I stayed there for quite a while. And then I had to balance that with touring and, and, and so on. Uh, and a year after this, of course, I went out to America with Modern English. And I believe you still have the trousers that I wore on that tour. <laughs> and they were cleaned, I can assure you. <laughs> we'll put the uh, we'll put the YouTube link up to uh, to, to the, the clip of, of you playing with Modern English in America. It's in front of about 20 million uh, US TV viewers, I think. So It was something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was on some morning show that was just... A, 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 I mean, watching it now, it's like the presenters don't really know what they're doing. It's all sort of a bit like, <laughs> what? Uh, but yes, but, but as I said, that was that was just the year after a bit naughty. I've added that, but that was the year just after that. But yeah, so 1995, it was a complete kind of turnaround from where I was before. So playing loads more, a lot of jazz gigs around the area to pick up some pin money, still living in Bath, um, still going out and drinking and having a great time and, and being crazy. But definitely more more serious playing was happening. And I've traveled to a, a few different, you know, continents on tour and done a few things and been on MTV. So things were starting just to move along. And that was when MTV obviously played music rather than reality shows about <laughs> people. <laughs> people that I don't even want to know about. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what were the card is, Jans or something. I don't know. Something like that. I don't watch it, but hmm. Yeah, no, that makes three of us, I think. Good. <laughs> 
keep the faith, boys. Um, so, that, so that was me in '95. Okay, yeah, great. That's cool. The trousers. I'm still a bit confused <laughs> about these trousers. Where, where are the trousers, and what's, what's the story? Well, they're probably in that cupboard behind him, actually, on that wardrobe. I would thought, <laughs> hanging up. Basically, the idea was the band was called Modern English, and they were big in America, but they weren't very. They were an English band, but they weren't very big here. But in America, they had one hit that was massive. It was called Melt With You, and it was in Nicolas Cage's first film. Uh, and it was a few years afterwards, put on a, a McDonald's or a Burger King advert. And I think it's Burger King, because they do a cheese melt or something. So they thought, oh, what's got melt in it? This song. So it made him a fortune. So Robbie and the band, well, what was left of the band, used to go out and just live on Burger Kings, probably, when they were touring. But, you know, just go out and do that. anyway. But there's a, not a punk element, but he was a bit kind of like, even though it was mid nineties and that punk thing wasn't really quite happening in that way. He said, I want a bit of a kind of punk spirit. So I was like, well, I've always wanted tartan trousers from, you know, sex pistols or clash, whoever I've seen wearing tartan trousers, I was all captain sensible. I just thought it was cool. So I went into Burton's in Bath, which isn't there anymore. It's in that West bank now, I think. Uh, and I went in there and bought a pair of slacks and I took them out on tour and they were fantastic. I really liked them. And sometimes on the way home, I leave them some garments, tall garments like in bizarre places but they came back with me and they were in my wardrobe for years and then I started hanging out with Stu and I mentioned it to him he said man they were wicked man I said I've still got my pink so one night I went to the probably the two pigs and mm-hmm. I took him along and said there you go there's my trousers mate and he's like oh my god I don't know if he actually really wanted them but I, he ended up with them anyway so he's got Rob's, Rob's trousers the wrong trousers but maybe the right ones but they're clean I did get them dry cleaned it's all good a genuine piece of, of rock memorabilia and you think I wouldn't want it, man. I still, no, no, I, I very much appreciate it. I, I believe they're in my they're in the cupboard in my bedroom at my parents' house where I keep all the really important stuff. Oh, man, I'm so glad you got them because one day they might be worth, they're not be worth anything. But, you know, it'd be a nice keepsake of old Rob Ryan and his old slacks because they did, they went all the right way around the, the, that, that, the, the country. We toured for months. Um, we were driving most of it in, in uh, buses and it was like, oh, you know how big America is. People moan about driving to Scotland here or Newcastle, but wait till you've got to drive coast to coast in America, then you really know what travelling is. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, they, they were uh, sat on the drum stool with me over a 30, 40 date tour of the state. So, you know, but I thought they should go to a good home, a bit like my Rolling Stones record, which is an original. You've also got that. Hopefully that is downstairs, yeah. That that's here, and I spin it, spin it regularly. Again, I really appreciate it. That's all right. Well, I mean, <laughs> I got my fun out of it, and I, I wanted somebody who was really, really appreciated to have it. So you've got my slacks and my Stones record. <laughs> so that's the story, Alex. That's the story. Nothing more CD than that. <laughs> nice. I mean, yeah, I love the idea of Stu being past uh, a pair of trousers and down the pub. Um, <laughs> it must have looked so weird. <laughs> clandestine swapping of merchandise yeah it's the sort of thing that goes on up and down the country in provincial pubs every, every night of the week i'm sure <laughs> yeah some, some people buy dodgy meat out of carrier bags in pubs i got a pair of tartan trousers there yeah go. i opened up my dirty rain mac and inside was a pair of tartan trousers like, <laughs> do you want these do you want these 32 waist i can't get in them anymore so <laughs> it's 34 waist all the way now boys <laughs> We've done the beginning and the middle of the decade. What about the yeah. end of the decade? Where What was your life like in 1999? Oh, I was in therapy and um, no, I wasn't. I, <laughs> I, I was still rocking, you know, in the free world. I was doing a little bit more teaching at that point. For some, I can't think what happened, but the, the, the touring kind of petered out a little bit. And I kind of concentrated more on teaching. And I started working for Mealfield School. So I had two private schools. So, you know, I was getting a nice sort of wedge, bit of wonga coming in and some private lessons. And I just kind of concentrated more on local projects. And there was no rule. I can't remember why I did that. I think it must be just for, for money. And I got a really nice flat in Bath. I put Camden Crescent. And I think I was just enjoying that kind of life and the, the rock and roll thing. I mean, I was still doing sessions at Real World. I worked Peter Gabriel along the way, somewhere along that, that timeline as well, uh, which was amazing, obviously. Uh, and I did a few other things at Real World. So things were happening, but it wasn't as rock and roll as the start of the, the but then it would go nuts into the 2000s, which I know we're not talking about, but then it picked up again there and kind of ended up where I am kind of now. So I was actually, I was working like a, a cover band at that point. I was working in various original jazz funk lineups. Of course, nobody came to see that because who does? Um, 
also a Beatles kind of tribute band or cover band. I'm not sure what that was, but we used to wear roll necks, not wigs. And that was fun. But it was all money gigs, you know, and I think I was just in, and I had a girlfriend that's more settled. And I just didn't have my tartan trousers. But, you know, I just felt it's the time just to, to, to do that. As I say, 2000, though, that kind of it, it, it went skits and went the other way again. And I stopped teaching altogether for a, a long period of time. But yeah, it, it was it was kind of peak a little bit. Then it kind of plateaued, if you like. But I was it was still crazy times. I was still having a great time, and I was still I said I'd started doing some drum clinics at that point as well, which meant that you know some of those things I was doing meant I didn't have to go away and tour. Uh, I think a few things were offered to me, and I I, I didn't take them because there were things I didn't really want to do, and I won't say what they were. Just remembered actually, and I was a bit like, well kind of done that i'm not not too interested in in doing that so i was i was taking myself down a different path but thankfully i think thankfully it changed again in the 2000s but yeah that's where i ended up so not quite as rock and roll at the start i was more rock and roll at the start of the decade i think the start of the decade the start of the 90s was just generally a bit more of a rock and roll time wasn't it just it it really was. And, you know, we'd fallen out of the 80s, which had its good points and its bad points, like any decade. I mean, they're all a, a, an amalgam of good, bad and ugly. You know, people say the best music was there. It's like not true. There's brilliant music all the way through every decade. You just got to find it. But, yeah, I think you're right. I think there was that going on. Uh, and then the grunge thing happened soon into the early 90s. And that was exciting. It changed things up a bit, you know, kind of whisked a lot of the 80s around a bit and shoved, spat them out. But, but again, that sort of petered out quite quickly but it's all good you know just kept things moving so I know we're going to talk about the music in a minute but um that was an exciting time and also acid jazz had come back and uh funk was sort of getting a rebirth but we'll do the music in a minute but yeah it was a pretty rock and roll time especially if you're in an M&S like <laughs> you're aware I'm wearing that green suit going around pushing shopping trolleys you know how to live I'm telling you <laughs> M&M's got nothing on me <laughs> Okay, so we've spoken about um, your sort of personal journey through through the decades. So now we'll go on to a few of your a few of your favourite things from the decade, if if we can. Uh, there's, yes. there's a few things, there's a few subjects and and points that we like to cover with our okay. with our guests. So first of all, this is a big uh, big topic on on the podcast. What was your favourite the favourite car that you owned, or parent, or family member, or anything like that? What was your what was your vehicle of the nineties? I suppose you would have passed your test around sort of 88 89 would you yeah i did i passed about 88 89 yeah around there somewhere and there's actually two i suppose i you know i'd like to squeeze in if i can the first mm -hmm. one my, would be my ford fiesta festival which was a 950 so it's like a lawnmower engine <laughs> but it was my first car and it was orange and i called it jerome because oh, brilliant. Jerome, uh, in the band The Time, which is kind of one of the Prince Protégé bands, there was uh, Morris Day, who was like the main star, who was like really cool and really slick. And then he had his right-hand man called Jerome, who always brought a mirror out when they were performing and he'd be doing his hair and his eyebrows and stuff. And he was Jerome. He was like, Jerome, go get me the mirror and all this stuff. So, so Jerome uh, was, became the name of, um, of my car. And I had it for a long time. And on that tour with Modern English in 96, my brother-in-law wrote it off. Thankfully, he was fine. But the car ended up like a sort of consultina type thing. Oh, no. Yeah, so she died. But the other thing, the other great, I mean, I'm a Ford man because it's like a monetary thing. But my second favourite was the Ford Mondeo. When I could actually start to buy newish cars-ish, uh, the Ford Mondeo was the one. And I had two through that 90s period and they were absolutely fantastic some people say two it can't be that fantastic you had two but you know i moved them on so i didn't do that kind of too many miles and people go oh, i don't know about that mate tire kickers and all that i wanted to just do a few thousand or whatever and then move move her on but but they were both brilliant um i love them i love the shape of the first one because it was like the batmobile the 60s batmobile it had that sort of which they don't do now everything's square but it had this lovely sort of uh, rounded body shape that was really kind of sexy and and then Vauxhall copied it and a few other companies copied it of course um, and then the Monday said right now we've got to make them blocky again and square and rectangle and I bought one of those and that was great too uh, but there was something about my uh, burgundy one that was just that shape was just so sexy and it was like something from the Jetsons and Batman it, it was just great I mean do you know the model I'm talking about it was 
not bubble sort of shape, but it was just smooth and sleek and not square, yeah. basically. Yeah, my dad had one on a on an L plate. Uh, yeah, in the in the late nineties, early two thousands. So yeah. uh, absolutely, mine was an L something or other. There we go. Five something or other. <laughs> and the other, it passed me a little while ago, going faster than I was. So nice. It's still about. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's still about. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. It was passing me on the motor. I was like, hang on a minute. It looked a bit dirty and a bit smoky. But yeah, so, so those two cars have been very dear to me. You know, I'd love to say I had a Corniche or something, but not yet. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, and RIP Jerome as well. I'm gutted about that. So, oh. you know, um, yeah. yeah. And, and, I, and I go faster stripes. So all, all, all the Fiesta festivals, you couldn't get them off either. They had these different stripes down them, and they're two different colours. Like one was an orange and one was a dark brown. And they went down the middle like a freeze of the car. It was just, I mean, you couldn't get them off. It's a bit naff, but it was just great. It, it sounds like it looked like the General Lee, orange and brown. and It, it <laughs> kind of was like that. It kind of was like that. It was like exactly that orange. It was that orange. And I loved it. Honestly, I used to chuck on my drums in the back of it. And I thought I was boss driving that thing around, you know. It was great. And then one day, alas. Uh, yes. Thanks to Trevor. Damn you, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> I think this next question is going to be a big one for you, Rob. I mean, of course it is. It's um, oh. what's your favourite or what is the, the, the record that means the most to you from the 90s? Oh. Do you know what? <laughs> I was stroking my chin till it nearly caught fire the other day. Um, nearly started a fire here because, you know, there's, there's, there's too many to name, you know, because I could have said Prefab Sprout, Massive Attack, Air, Bjork, Moby, R.E.M., Portishead, Blur, Prince, there's so many I could have said in that 10 year space and more, you know, Nirvana, like, never mind, like, God, you know. But actually, a band that has come back into the zeitgeist recently through producers I've been working with was Jellyfish. And if anyone knows my Facebook, they'll know I've been sort of pounding on about this band Jellyfish. So I'm going to be a little bit of a maverick and go away from some of these obvious ones like I could have picked, like Blue Lines, Massive Attack, and Dummy, and all that, which are just superb albums. So they all stand. Uh, but I'm going to go for um, Spilt Milk and Belly Button, two of, two, the only two albums Jellyfish made. Um, and they were just fantastic. They're, if you don't know them, go and check them out. They've got kind of, they're American, but they took all the best from all the British bands. So it's a bit Queen, it's a bit Beach Bo uh, Beatles, it's a bit Beach Boys, I know they're American. 10cc, bit early ELO, not the later stuff, but the really early ELO, the heavier ELO. Uh, Move, you know, Stones, they've got all the great stuff. So the harmonies, the heavy guitars, the grooves, the shuffle, the feel, and they're just brilliant. And I remember I went to Moles one night in Bath, and I used to go every Saturday if I wasn't gigging. Um, and me and my mate used to go, Alistair, and we turned up, uh, and it was like, who's playing tonight? And they said, Jellyfish. It was like, what? Anyway, <laughs> these guys come out, and this was 91, 92. So I remember Soundgarden and Nirvana, all that stuff's kicking off. These guys come out with psychedelic outfits on, like they've just stepped out in 1967. So the striped flare trousers, the double-breasted sort of velvet jackets that I love to wear now, um, cravats and all that stuff, long hair, but with this heavy sound, but with these amazing melodies and with a drummer that played standing up with an amazing voice. He was the lead singer. And it wasn't like drums at the back, guitar bass. They stood in a line, all four of them. And we, me and my mate, I just remember drinking gold Grosch at the time. It'd be like popping the top off. And I was like, I haven't taken a sip of this for 45 minutes. It just blew me away. And I chatted to them after the show and they were saying they were going to do later with Jules and they were getting it together. And unfortunately, a few years later, they disbanded. But um, the two albums they made, producers and people still talk about it. And they say if they could have lasted another two years for when Blur and the sort of, that sort of Britpop thing happened, they would have been right at the front of that. So, yeah, I'm going to say Jellyfish. And for the viewers and listeners who don't know, go and check them out. A fantastic band. Really, really great. But as I say, there could have been any of those others there, too so many great records in that period yeah it's, it's a bit of a cruel question really to, to make you pick one from a whole decade and the <laughs> 90s at that but um it is yeah. it's really hard man i mean oh. <laughs> and i didn't want to just say never mind or, or dummy or something because i guess loads of people have said those so as i said i've listed them so you know they're they're on my mind but i had to go yeah. for one that maybe just a little bit different yeah that's no that's great because i mean a lot of people weren't have heard of jellyfish and, and now they might go out and listen to them i mean i'm but I've never heard of them, and I, I now want to go and check them out. So, yeah. yeah I mean, check them. I mean, there's Crowded House in there as well. There's so many bands. But, yeah, you should check them out because they're one of those bands that 
you know, artists today will throw it in an interview and people go, who the hell's that? Until they, and, but they never always go and find out. They just go, what? Jellyfish. Uh, but as I say, producers still talk about the, 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 the way those albums were mixed in, in that period of time uh, and the harmonies and just the way they were structured. It's just, just great music. Really good music. And live, they were rocking as well. It wasn't all tidy. It was kind of heavy. It was, yeah, it was, it was good stuff. So, yeah, please go and check them. Awesome. Don't be like those other people. Do what Rob says. Go and check it out. Yes, don't be <laughs> like those others. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so sticking with uh, in the entertainment sphere, um, yes. we're going to move on to movies now. Um, uh, yes. Now, we know, we know you're a big uh, sci-fi fan, of course. I um, am indeed. But uh, are we are we going sci-fi here, or or is there another movie that that's your pick of the uh, pick of the nineties? Man, I'm gonna cheat again. <laughs> <laughs> I can't pick one. I mean, ugh, it's so hard. I mean, I've got a little list here of things, and they're just a few. I mean, I thought I can't keep reading out loads because they're gonna say that's not the point. <laughs> but oh, God, yeah. Ugh. I mean, straight off the bat, I've got Wayne's World here because that was just amazing. Edward Scissorhands, another one that just incredible fargo reservoir dogs jurassic park that's my little list i could have gone on if you want me to pick one today in the cold light of this whatever day we're on oh crash was in there as well everyone's gonna say reservoir dogs aren't they i'm gonna say edward scissorhands then because i love the soundtrack and it was the start of well the batman movie with tim burton was the start of his movement really properly uh, and that was amazing, but that was in 89, so that didn't creep in. Otherwise, it would have been that. But also, Batman Returns is 1992, so that would have been in there too. But I think Tim Burton just is amazing, and he makes cracking films. Uh, and there's something about the soundtrack, the story, the way it was shot, that Edward Scissorhands just blew me away. And it, and it, he's not afraid to connect, you know, even the toughest of men to their emotions. I mean, I'm not like that. But some guys are like, I'm not crying. It's fine. It's fine. It's like, yeah, it's getting to you, isn't it? It's quite sad, this bit. And it kind of gets inside of you a little bit and, and it kind of makes you feel those emotions. And, and I think that's what good movie making and good music is about. You know, it makes you feel that whirlwind of emotions and it almost demands of you to, to feel something. I think that's that, we're getting a bit arty now, but I think that's what he does. And that film delivers in spades, I think, that that very thing. So sometimes it's rock and roll. Sometimes it's a bit of this, sometimes it's a bit scary. Sometimes it's got that love thing going on. It's just got it, the drama, the, the wit, the wit in there as well. You know, one minute you're laughing at him and the next minute you're nearly crying for him. Um, yeah, awesome. And Vincent Price is in it. So what could not be better than that? You know, having Dracula or whatever he was in it. It's amazing. And the fly, was he in the fly? I think he was as well. The original fly. Do you think we need to change the format here, Alex, and let our guests choose like 10 movies and albums and things? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that's my fault. I... Maybe three. Yeah. No, no, yeah, not, at all, not at all. It's, yeah, um... no, it's not your fault, Rob. I think uh, you're, it's completely fair. And I think we'll definitely, we're definitely going to allow these, uh, these honourable <laughs> mentions. You can't have an honourable mention when you've only got to pick one for a of for course. Decade, so. of course. And I think because I did eventually pick one eventually with all those, I think it's okay if someone keeps rambling about every single film, it's like, come on, we ain't got the time for that. You know, <laughs> it's not, you know, film 92 or whatever, <laughs> you know, Barry Norman. But yeah, it is really hard guys to pick, you know, but it, maybe three is a good idea. Like you said, maybe, maybe that's the thing, but they have to pick one at the top. They have to on the day. <laughs> motion <Yeah>. carried <laughs> get the gavel down <laughs> well hopefully this next one will be a bit easier although i'm not sure what about tv series oh well i mean again i could go through those i'm not even gonna bother i'm gonna go straight to the x files Oh, nice. and we thought you might we thought you might <laughs> why wouldn't you um you know i could have said so many other things so many comedy cartoons that were coming out you know i don't have to say the name we all know what that's going to be but, you know there, there's, there's so many great so much great tv prince of bel-air you can go anywhere with it there was like light-hearted stuff there was heavy stuff drama but the x-files just hit like she said earlier my sci-fi spot that's my weak spot uh and anything that comes in through that and can hold my attention uh, is a winner and when it, I saw the adverts on BBC Two I think it started first and I was a bit like oh this could be dodgy she looks a bit straight you know and he didn't look like Mel Gibson or something and she didn't look like Pfeiffer or something Michelle Pfeiffer the fact that they were two very almost ordinary looking people rather than the body beautiful was another reason to drag me in 
because you've got your Baywatches and all that. And it's just also just eye candy. It's like, ah. Uh, but this was like two people you had to get to know. It's like, why didn't they pick two? One, two stars that people would know. And two, two, two. The second thing is two actors that weren't absolutely beautiful and blonde and ripped. And it, you were like, great. So who are these people? And you had to get inside it. And then, of course, the stories were just so well written. I mean, like a lot of things, I have to say, it went on. And I know some people drifted and I drifted sometimes by series 105 or something. But the first four or five seasons and maybe a bit later, just amazing TV. And I think ER, Law and Order, all these things that came afterwards borrowed a little bit of the way it was filmed. Every episode was like a little movie in itself. Which, you know, I mean, you guys are a bit young to remember, but at the time, TV wasn't like that. Even American TV, particularly. I'm not saying it was on the cheap, but it didn't look as, as stunning as an X-File kind of presentation. Hence why it went on to win Emmys and, and God knows what. Um, and like anything, I always say to people, if you don't like a band or you don't like the music or the comedian, you have to remember what was around it at the time, whatever decade you look at. And there wasn't an awful lot of stiff competition for it. And it stood its head up above the parapet and it just flew. You know, it was like gone. And whether you're in Japan or, you know, Laycock, everyone knew about the X-Files and it became a sensation. Uh, so, again, if people haven't seen it, it might seem, oh, that's an old thing I can see on Netflix or Amazon. But you've got to remember at the time it was new, it was fresh. And actually, I watched some the other day. It still looks good. It's not like you see rubber bits and people's masks and falling off. It's not like, you know, something that's a bit naff. It still looks cutting edge and, and it's really good. So it'll always be the X-Files for me. So many great memories of setting your VCR to make sure you got home from the pub and watched it, you know, <laughs> and there was no advert because it was BBC. It was like the best thing ever. Fantastic. I mean, it was, it was definitely, it was huge when it, um, when it sort of gained a bit of traction. I remember there being a big, um, I think Gillian Anderson was on the cover of FHM or, or something like that. And, and that was like their biggest selling issue ever. I think when, I when, she, when she went on the cover, I bought that in Corsham. I used to go down to the news agents that's not there anymore. I think it's a bakery now or something or something like that. Kiosk. Kiosks. There you go. And I used to go in there and I used to rifle through. And if I, there was a picture of him or her or both of them, boom, I'd go out with my rhythm. That sounds like a bongo mag, but Rhythm Magazine <laughs> is a drumming mag. So I'd grab that and any X-Files one I could find, you know, as well as Melody Maple Enemy mm -hmm. and stuff. But yeah, always. And I had a poster of her on my wall and in HMV they used to sell little postcards. They might still do, I don't know, bands and album covers. And they had loads of X-File ones as well. So I used to put, you know, buy those two and just pin them on my wall. And, you know, and you're thinking you're in your 20s at this point and you, you've still got that, that kind of fixation. I loved it. You know, it's only when you reach your 30s, you realise you stop doing that. And there's probably a good reason for that. But um, it, I, I don't know. It just, it was like, they were my pop stars all of a sudden. It was just, it was just a cool movement I got behind and I loved it. I suppose rhythm is a bongo mag, technically, but there we are. Well. And, a, and a conga mag, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Tambourine shakers and more cowbell mag, yeah. I'm not sure, actually, you know, we've been friends for many years, Rob, but I'm not sure, actually, I actually know this about you, so it's, this is going to be a learning curve for me. Do you have a favourite video or, or computer game of the 90s? Were you much of a gamer? Well, now you ask. I had to dig deep for this one. I remember... Mm -hmm going with my girlfriend at the time down to wh smith's in bath which i think is still there yep and i had a little wedge of cash from a session or a gig that was quite well paid and i went in there and with my finest queen's pounds i went in and i bought a sega mega drive yes don't be, don't be jealous boys <laughs> <laughs> i've still got it somewhere and i bought that and i had a choice of two games and i had to dig deep for this as well and it was jurassic park and Batman Returns. And when I sorted these answers out last week, I went online and I thought, what are the graphics like for the Batman Returns? Or YouTube or something. And it was ridiculous. You may have had like hands above cardboard doing this with the figures. <laughs> it was absolutely terrible. But I remember at the time, I thought it was the best. Well, it would have been at the time. Again, this is what I'm saying. At the time, it was a, a brilliant unit and it was great games. But I realised that once I'd got through it, I was never going to be a gamer. I realised that, yes, I like the challenge of going back in and it started where you left off. That was kind of a revolutionary thing. Because apparently games before that didn't do that or something. And I remember this being, oh, great. I can just, it's got a memory. It remembers what, how badly I did last time. Brilliant. <laughs> I'll carry on being crap at this, you know. And I, and I eventually did them all. But 
I, yeah, I just realised that the gaming fad was well, not fad. Look what it turned into. But it wasn't for me. Um, and just today at the studio, some guys were talking about um, Zelda or Gazelle. Is it Zelda? The Legend of Zelda. Zelda. Yes. There you go. And yeah. and I'm, I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, I don't know this about you guys. And you know, some of you are younger than me. Some of you about the same age. And you're gaming, you know. And I, I'm just out of touch with it. I forget that people do that. I, I think I remember people playing Dungeons and Dragons in the late 80s and nobody would hang with them because it was a bit naff and all that business. When actually it wasn't. But so I, I, I kind of, with all that stuff, I always sort of try to stay on the, the back foot and go, oh, am I a gamer? I'm not sure. And I never bought into it 100%. And I know I probably missed out on hours and hours of really good fun with mates and people around the world because I know you can share it with people around the world. I mean, I sound like some of the granddad now, but apparently you can. Um, <laughs> uh, it, 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 it fascinates me, but yeah that's your answer but as far as it goes i never took it any further so unfortunately i never bought a third game so if anybody wants to buy me the sega mega drive now on ebay and send it to me give me another game and i'll get back into it <laughs> well you didn't go far wrong by choosing a mega drive that's uh, you know that's the main thing and, and if you if you still got it that's brilliant as well i, w- I wish i did i threw it out ages ago but ah, what, right. what was the other one there was two there was the mega drive what was the the was it Atari or something? Was there was another? So at the time, it would have been the Super Nintendo, wouldn't it? That's Alex, it. I think it was, was yeah, yeah a lot alongside yeah. the alongside the Mega Drive. That yeah. that was the two that were in competition with each other, and I went with Sega. I think because I had the Batman game, I think. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Good well, days, good days. <laughs> there was the third way, which uh, my family went, which was the Amiga, of course. Um, the, the the sort of the wild card. As oh it were. wow! Um, okay. What happened yeah. to them? They they just disappeared. Unfortunately, they were they were they were just subsumed by the uh, by the the competition, as it were. I think mm-hmm. uh, the PlayStation Indeed. came along and sort of blew. Well, it yeah blew everything else out of the water, didn't it? And then the the, pl- the PlayStation's still rolling, isn't it? Isn't that yeah still... exactly? The PlayStation yeah. is is sort of up there now. It's, it's the king. Yeah. Um. So rest in peace, Amiga. <laughs> never, never forgotten in the Greenwood household. <laughs> Hours of fun. Hours of fun. <laughs> How did the decade shape who you are today, do you think? Loads, you know, because like uh, we were saying at the start, it gave me uh, that that my that 20s period for every human being is a very important time. And for me, it was all about my early experiences being able to play music. There was a venue in Bath called The Farmhouse, which was just around the corner from Camden Crescent where I was living. Um, and I used to keep my drum kit there up in the, the long bar, which is above the pub. And we used to rehearse in there and do various things. And the landlord, John Bradshaw, John and Mary, they were just lovely. And my dad was a drummer in the 60s and he had played in the Bell because they owned the Bell in Walker Street as well at one point. So he knew my dad and some of the musicians I was playing there, they were jazz musicians. Some of them were my sort of dad's age, you know, whatever that would have been at that time, 40 something or other. And, you know, I could just go there and cut my teeth. People would be there just drinking their cider and their bitter and we'd be doing some jazz standards. Then we might go into something crazy. But they didn't seem to mind. And I could be playing there three times a week sometimes. I'll do a shift at M&S, sometimes from five in the morning to, for the money, till nine at night. Then I'll quickly get in Jerome, drive up to the farmhouse. Sometimes uh, they'd bring the drum kit down for me in, in some makeshift manner. It looked like a left-handed sort of Mickey Dolan's type setup. But I'd quickly assemble it just in time for the one, two, or one, two, you know, and I'd be there playing. And uh, a friend reminded me of that the other day. And, and, and I just had all that chance to, to play that music, which I know a lot of people haven't got anymore, which is kind of a shame. So, you know, that period for me, man, I cut my teeth playing some nonsense, some great stuff. And the artist I'd worked with who had careers that were still kind of moving up, but they'd maybe made their career in the 1780s. They were starting to use me. Like I said, Hugh Cornwell and Modern English, all these people, Peter Gabriel, all these different people. And it just allowed me to become the professional player that I sort of am now. I would never have been able to do it if it wasn't uh, for that decade. You know, if that bit was missing, there'd be a huge bit missing from my evolution as a human being. You know, meeting my girlfriends, making my different, my my acquaintances in music and the local blokes down the pub that you're like, oh, you're a drummer. And I only see them every Saturday down in the, the Bell or wherever I was drinking or the uh, the Star, you know, on the Paragon. You know, understanding how all this works and you're going 100 miles an hour, but you're like, oh, 
maybe I should buy that guy a drink. Oh, and he's asking about, oh, that's nice, but I don't really know him. That's kind of cool. People just jump in and out of your life. Oh, is that what it's like? Brilliant. Move on to a gig. It was all this stuff which I, I take with me, you know, baggage, but good baggage. And you, and you learn how to start relationships and, and control relationships and, you know, also screw some up and things like that. And along the way, as I say, the music's going in. It was just like a... Looking back, it was just like a, 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 on the ocean, just going, and you're just taking all these things on. And uh, I'm so thankful that I had the 90s the way that I had it. And I'm sure everyone says that. But for me, you know, as I say, all that playing, when would you do that normally without a landlord coming up saying, hey, lads, play something we know? You know, they would just let us play. And we'd play all this jazzy nonsense or pop nonsense. And man, you know what I'm saying. You know, if you guys are musicians, well, you, I know you are. So, you know what I'm saying. That's so hard where there isn't an agenda where it's like, right, boys, give us some Slade or some Queen or something. It's like, just play and we'll drink and we'll clap at the end if we like it. If we don't like it, we won't clap. And you'll still get 25 quid in your pocket at the end of the night. You know, it's like, come on. It's like paid rehearsal time. Just superb. You go to Bristol, it'd be different. You know, you'd have to have a different set. But for me, Bath was my stomping ground. And when I was playing in the farm, I said it was just anything goes, man. And I, sometimes when I'm gigging now, I'm not name dropping, but last year, we, well, before COVID, we did the Royal Albert Hall. I remember sitting there looking out thinking, if it wasn't for all of those times, all those times in the farmhouse where some drunk guy has gone past me and hit the symbol thinking it's funny and, on his way to the toilet, I'd go, what an idiot. But, you know, all those times of all that stuff, that work and hardship, get your violins out. I wouldn't have been there. You know, I wouldn't have had the chance to make those mistakes and get things right. It, you know, and and I, you know, when I started writing this, I couldn't even type because I had all these emotions coming in of like, that's incredible. You know, it really wouldn't have been, I would, really wouldn't be the person I am today without that decade doing what it did, as well as all the music influence which you spoke about in the movies. All all of it comes in. It's it's quite incredible. And your brain, it's like a kid. You're like it's like a sponge. You're taking all these influences in from all these different places, and it, it and it's just phenomenal. You know, and if you guys, some of you guys listening, are going through it now, enjoy it. You might not know you're enjoying it, but enjoy it and make the most because it is an incredible time. You, you, you hit your 30s, you know, into another decade and it all kind of changes again. But, um, yeah, that was my time. And I was 20, like you say, right at the, it was perfect for me. You know, it was like, boom, 20, 1990. These numbers are working out. This is going to be great. In 10 years, I'm going to have all this fun. We will end on the same question that we always end uh, with all our guests. Uh, Robbie, what is the one thing from the 1990s that you'd most like to bring back? Oh, again, that's so difficult. My tartan trousers. <laughs> <laughs> you can have, you can have back. them back if you want them. You can have them. <laughs> no, that would be wrong. <laughs> I can't do that. Well, you know, selfishly, I mean, I don't know if people answer like, um, you know, world peace. I'd love to say that right now, obviously. And I, that's what I believe. But anyway, let's hope. Fingers crossed. Um, you know, selfishly, I'll say things like Jerome. I'd love to have Jerome back. I probably wouldn't because I'd get in him and think, oh, this was crap. But um, I'd like to have... Again, I'm being very selfish with these answers, but I'd like to somehow get in a TARDIS and jump back and just see myself in 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 the bell and in the, the farmhouse and gigs in Bristol and, and and just think, oh my God, if only I could come up and tell you about you know this or or not to play that or to do this, you know, selfishly, I'd love to go back and to capture some of that again, some of those moments, some of my drinking nights with my friends you know some of those nights at moles where you turn up and suddenly the lars were there playing or as a secret gig or oasis were playing you know just some of those things where you turn up and you're like what were you doing here you know all, all all those things and also family members that come and go unfortunately um you know it'd be nice to get which is a bit of a serious answer i guess but it'd be nice to get some of that 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 back um and also to go back to my foreman at MS and just give him a piece of my mind because he wasn't always very nice right. <laughs> so i'd like to go back and say oh you look at me now <laughs> <laughs> and actually i still see some of those uh, MS guys um occasionally if i'm walking around bath and stuff and they used to call me dude they were like because i was the youngest member of staff uh on, on the warehouse uh, and they used to call me dude and then when i used to come in they're like, all right dude what music are you listening dude um, and I remember I brought in um, the Prince single. I can't say it's because it's a rude word in it, but Sexy MF, which was Sexy Mother. Sexy which, Mark Franklin. Sex, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, which got near, num I think it was number two. It got in the top five anyway. So I went to HMV around the corner and I bought the cassette of it and I played it. I kept playing it on repeat in the warehouse. 
And all the guys go, dude, this is so cool. We were all dancing. And then my foreman come in and he was like, disgusting, turn it off, which I suppose it was. But it was kind of radical at the time. It was 1992 and someone saying, you sexy mother. And it's on the radio and it's cool, you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'd like to relive some of those again. That was just kind of fun. And, and, and of course, you know, every generation has its kind of, that was our moment. And I, and I think, you know, hip hop coming in and bad language in music through Prince and a few other people it, and the sexiness of it. It was daring. It was new. It was fun. You know, and, and you're not going to go through that now. When I hear language in songs now, I just think kind of been done and you sound like an old fart but it's kind of yeah whatever you said f did you oh great you know but it meant something to say f in 1992 <laughs> that was something you know so little moments like that and obviously another thing i've just thought of vic reeves big night out i've got to throw that in there because i would love to see that come back i know it did for one season but i would love to see that come back again because i think that was brilliant and i used to look like vic reeves i still do a little bit looking at myself maybe not the hair so much now and I remember going to the Prince of India restaurant, which isn't there anymore. Uh, and me and my friend, the same guy I went to Moles with, we were having a curry, obviously. And we were doing all the, you wouldn't let it lie and all that business, which was all his slogans at the time for the big night out. And this bloke kept staring at me. And I said to Gareth, my mate, I said, he's, he's upset. He's going to tell me in a minute to, for us to shut up. And then he started coming over and I was like, oh, he's coming over, he's coming over. And he said, excuse me, can I ask you something? And I went, I said, sorry, we're a bit loud. He said, no, are you Vic Reeves? Because I had, I had the, the proper, what's the name, quiff and everything at that point. And I went, oh, God, I thought you were going to have a go at me. He said, you are, aren't you? We've, me and my wife, you are, aren't you? And I said, I'm not. I'm really sorry. And he's like, oh, I thought you were. You look just like him. I was like, yeah, no, sorry to disappoint you. And she was like, oh, you do look like him. I was like, oh, thank you. Yeah, so anyway, there you go. There's a bit rambles. But, yeah, there's, a few, there's quite a few things in there I'd like to have back. And my younger skin. That'd be nice. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Rob, for joining us tonight. As I said, we really do appreciate it. It's been a great, uh, a great tour <laughs> through your experience of the nineties. But before we wrap up, um, can you tell us a bit more about what you what you're doing at the Beatles Museum next month? Because uh, it's obviously a really, really um, interesting and, and important engagement for you, I would imagine. Yes, it, it, yes, it, it is. Basically, uh, Gary uh, Astridge, who's Ringo's personal drum curator of all of, it, of all his kits, but especially his Beatle period drum kits, which there are seven or eight of them. He comes over every now and again for the Ludwig Drum Company, which is Ringo's famous, well, not Ringo's, mm -hmm. but he played Ludwig Drum. No, no. Um, he comes over and he does talks on Ringo's setups and, you know, what size is. It's a drum geek thing, you know. So we did something at the Vintage Drum Show last year in October where I did some Ringoisms and talked about to a room full of drummers what was special about his playing, like you could Charlie Watts or anybody. You know, the things that you should really hone in on, not just the ticket to ride rhythm, but there's other things going on. <clears throat> so they said, the organizer said, look, why don't we get Gary together? So you could play a bit. Gary could talk with a PowerPoint about Ringo and he knows Ringo. They hang out all the time, tell you some stories, talk about the kits at Shea Stadium, the kits on the Ed Sullivan show and all that and the one on the Let It Be film and all that. You could talk about that and do it together. So Gary was up for it. I was up for it. And then the Beatles Museum were up for it. So really, as a bit of Ringo Beatles fan, it's like I couldn't get any any better kind of commendation than that to say, come on our home turf. I mean, I'm, it's going to be nerve wracking because I'm in Liverpool playing this stuff in the Beatles Museum. <laughs> and, you know, I am not Ringo, but piece of love. But um, I will do my best to show you, you know, what's good about his drumming and what you, you know, other drummers, Nick, because you've talked to, listen to Dave Grohl, he talks about Ringo's drumming. Most people talk about it. And um, it's, it's like, why? Well, let's find out, you know, so it's like a, a but, but it's not open just to drummers. It's open to anybody, you know, you'd have to be, a, I'm not going to get into the nuts and bolts of it. It needs to be open to Beatle fans, but there's going to be a little bit of knowledge. So yes, I'm very proud to be doing that and, and hopefully we'll do, a, a few more you know maybe travel it around go to the states with it and stuff but it's one of those those things you know everyone's like oh well you know you're not playing it exactly the same it's not really about that it's you know i'm not gonna lead everything with my left hand for instance i'm not a, a, a copy you like this is more about how his drumming's influenced my playing um and not how authentically within reason to play it you know and i've had a few people saying it, it's really close so so that's a good thing so yes so thank you for mentioning that i'm very excited it's april the 4th Monday, April the 4th. Get your tickets in Liverpool and come on up. I think that was Liverpool. Was that right? <laughs> or was that Birmingham? I don't know. <laughs> it sounded okay to me, man. Rob, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. And uh, I, I, th I think 
we could definitely say we'll have you back on perhaps to talk about sci-fi in the 90s who knows but i'm, Man, I'm sure I, I would love to do that as i say i sort of steered away from it but yes if you want to get back in we could do a deep dive as they call it into that i'd love to i'm sure we can think of an excuse to to have you back on in the future <laughs> but uh, thank you for now mate it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for coming on and uh, yeah we really appreciate it thanks guys yeah cheers rob absolutely brilliant loved it Big thanks to Robbie Bryan for coming in to tell us about his 1990s. I mean, how fantastic. He's obviously sat down and really thought about the questions that we've asked and the answers he wants to give. And, you, you know, brilliant to have that level of research for a guest. I'm not suggesting that anybody else hasn't done that. But, um, you know, you could see that he was really, really into the, uh, you know, in into his 90s. So absolutely brilliant and hope to have him on again someday. Yeah, it was great. It, it made me want to just, I wanted to go, just wanted to go back to, to to bath in in 1993 and just try out some of the pubs back then go to the farmhouse that rob mentioned and just see what the scene was like like yeah it just it got me nostalgic for a time that drink rough cider and get one of his symbols on your way to the toilet (laughs) yeah well i know not to do that now but um, (laughs) yeah it was great it was great to meet rob and like you say great research and great answers yeah, I think a sci-fi in the 90s episode is definitely in the offing with Rob. We'll, uh, we'll get him back on sooner rather than later, I think. Yeah. Um, if you want to let us uh, know any of your thoughts about anything that you've heard in this episode or any of the previous episodes, whether that's what's the most 90s, the thing you'd bring back from the 90s, anything we've talked about, then you can get in contact in the usual places. So we're on Twitter at allright90s. You can email us on allright90s at gmail.com. Uh, we're on facebook.com forward slash all right 90s all of those are letters there's no numbers in any of those and then on instagram we are all right dot nine zero s dot podcast and uh, any of those is a suitable way to get in touch and we'd really love to hear from you so please do that and please do get in touch with your suggestions for our next episode which is going to be the first episode in our movies series and we're talking about the movies of 1990 this time so if you have a favorite movie from 1990 a favorite movie moment from 1990 anything like that uh, please do let us know because we'll be recording that episode next and uh, we'd love to hear from you on that subject as well as well as all the other subjects we've already covered yeah absolutely Okay, well, until then, when we are going to be talking about the movies in the 1990s, uh, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. Cheerio.